Hey, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. Uh, Open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. John 16. John 16 is where we are going to be this morning. Isn't God good? He's a wonderful God to worship. I love him. It's my favorite. Today we're going to move into the third section of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, if you've been uh, following along uh, with us this journey, we've talked about God the Father, talked about God the Son, and today we're going to start the section of God the Holy Spirit. So please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. I pray, Holy Spirit, uh, that you in a special way would be right here with us. I pray, Spirit, that you would take everything that belongs to Jesus and give it to us. His promises are so wonderful, it's difficult for us to believe them. Would you take those promises and give them to us? His truth is so high, it's hard for us to reach. Would you take what belongs to Jesus and bring it down to us? Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are a God who doesn't say jump higher, but you bring the great things of Jesus down to us. Would you fill me with a power that I do not possess to preach a word that is not my own for the people that you love? Would you do this, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, to the glory of the Father? Amen. Amen. Uh, For many Christians, the Holy Spirit is mysterious, right? He's even a confusing member of the Trinity, and that's understandable, I get that. I can relate to that. The, the, I mean, think about it this way. The Father, okay, we could kind of have a conception of Father, right? Because we all have a Father. We came from a Father. Okay, got that. The Son, well, we understand Son uh, because he kind of puts a face on God, right? I mean, he's human like us, so we can kind of understand the Son. Uh, but the Holy Spirit, who's he? What does he do? How am I supposed to picture that? How am I supposed to have a conception of the Holy Spirit? What we tend to do, if we're being honest, and I hope we can be honest since we're at church, if we're honest, uh, what we tend to do is ignore the Holy Spirit. Am I right? He's like the member of the family that we don't see very often. We don't know how to relate, so we're kind of like, hello, you know, but I'm going to go spend my time over here. We don't really understand If we're being honest, and I hope we can be, we claim as Christians to be Trinitarian. That's what our statement of faith at Crossway Church is, right? We claim to be Trinitarian. 
but functionally in our worship, functionally in our prayer life, functionally in our achieving the mission of the church, we're duotarians. I totally made that word up, okay? It's not even a real word. But that we function day to day as duotarians. Our trinity is actually functionally Father, Son, and Holy Bible. That's what we feel comfortable with. And so we need to talk about the Holy Spirit, all right? And just as a disclaimer, this message is not intended to be exhaustive. <laughs> I am not going to try to say everything that could be said about the Holy Spirit in one sermon, okay? There's just too much ground to cover. Uh, we actually talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the ascension of Jesus, if you remember. So you can go back and listen to that message. But let me say this, 25 years ago, for 25 years, I should say, General Electric, they had this very simple but very profound motto that explained who they were and what they did. And you guys remember that, right? We bring good things to life. We bring good things to life. That's a great summation of what God, the Holy Spirit, does. He brings good things to life. The Holy Spirit is the active person of God in the world who is making all things new. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is the active person of God in the world who is making all things new. Theologian J.I. Packer puts it this way. If the Father creates and the Son rescues, then the Spirit recreates. The Spirit brings good things to life. So two quick comments to, before we jump in today. First of all, the Spirit is a he, not an it. He's a he, not an it. The Spirit is not like the force in Star Wars, you know. It's just kind of in everything, and it's invisible. It's an impersonal power that's in everything that you can harness. They give you great power, and, and you can just uh, tap into it. If you tap into the force, if you just tap into the spirit the right way, you can bend it to do your will and give you great power and ability. And That's not the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God. And so he has characteristics of a person. Not in the sense of male or female, but just in the sense of personhood. This is how you and I relate to God the Holy Spirit. We can talk to the Spirit. We can grieve Him. We can anger Him. We can fellowship with the Spirit. We can be comforted by Him. The Spirit is a He, not an It. Secondly, the Spirit is holy. The Spirit is holy. He's, he, that, you know what that means? That means He is fully and entirely God. He is not less than God. It's not like there's God the Father, God the Son, and then there's like the Holy Spirit. He just kind of always, you know, we don't know. He's not the same. He's not equal. He's not worthy of our attention. No. He is fully, entirely God. He is co-equal with the Father and with the Son, and therefore he is not to be ignored by us. He is not to be diminished by us in any way. This also means that the Spirit's constant aim is to achieve the purposes of God, for he is God. Does this make sense? So we need to make those two comments real quick. This is who we're talking about. The Holy Spirit is the active person of God in the world who brings good things to life. And so what does he bring to life? 
Well, we're not talking about everything, but I want to talk about two things. First of all, the Spirit brings God's Word to life through illumination. The Spirit brings God's Word to life through illumination. Let's go to the text, verses 13 and 14 in John. When the Spirit of truth comes, He, see, He's a person, He will guide you into all the truth. He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Declare it to you. This is who he is and what he does. The Spirit brings God's word to life through illumination. He guides us into deeper and deeper into the truth about God, about Jesus, about the good news of his promises. And how will he guide us deeper into the truth? By taking what belongs to Jesus and declaring it to us. Like, cup your hands over your mouth, declaring it. Right? Right? He's going to shine a bright light on it. He's going to magnify it. It was small. He's going to make it magnify and make it big. It was in the dark. He's going to put it in the light so we can see it more clearly, more clearly than we've ever seen it before, more clearly than we've ever encountered it before. This is what the Holy Spirit does. It's not that the Spirit merely repeats the words that Jesus has said, like a simple reminder. This isn't Siri. This is the Spirit. Right? He's not just kind of repeating, repeating what you've already heard. Jesus didn't say the Spirit will take what is mine and repeat it to you. What did he say? He will take what belongs to me and he will declare it to you. This is much more powerful than merely repeating words. Jesus means that the Spirit will take who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and he will press it home into our hearts so that we really get it. We use this word encounter. It's in our mission statement. We want people to encounter the gospel, not just hear a recitation of it. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us. It will no longer become uh, sheer head knowledge, but it will be heart knowledge. We'll know it on another level. The Spirit will make God's word come to life. It'll be three-dimensional, pop off the page, so to speak. All right, think about about this way. Maybe this will help. Think about that favorite teacher that you had in high school. We all had one, right? Are you picturing who she or he is, that favorite teacher maybe that you had in high school as a kid. You didn't really like the subject so much necessarily, but you liked the teacher. Do you know what I'm talking about? And why'd you like the teacher? Because they brought that subject matter to life. They helped it make sense to you. In that confusing time we call high school, you're like, well, okay, I, I, this matters. Does this make sense? Maybe they were passionate about history, right? A bunch of things happened to a bunch of dead people a long time ago. That's kind of how you went into thinking about that. But then you had this special teacher, and they were passionate about it. They didn't merely just repeat old stories. That's what Google is for, right? No, they worked hard. They brought you into the history. They brought you into the story of the past, and they showed you how relevant that it is for you today, that it makes a difference. You found yourself, without even knowing it, you found yourself getting excited about history. Why? Because the teacher showed you the relevancy of it. 
They brought good things to life. This is the Holy Spirit. This is what the Spirit of God does to God's Word. In fact, he helped write God's Word, so it makes sense that he'd bring it to life, right? Jesus even refers to the Holy Spirit in John as our teacher. This is part of what he does for us. The Holy Spirit makes the Word of God taste sweet when before it was just bland historical facts that happened a long time ago. He makes the promises of God desirable realities instead of debatable facts. He makes the word of Christ applicable to our current situation. It's a living word of God. Hebrews tells us. Vanessa and I uh, took beginning New Testament Greek uh, when we were in college years and years ago, and she did far better at it than I did, by the way. Just going to get that on the podcast, on the record. (laughs) She did great. She's always done better at languages than I have. Uh, There was, in that class, there was a foreign exchange student in her class named Mike. Now, here's the interesting thing about Mike. Mike was Greek. And even though modern Greek is different than Koine Greek, that's the type of Greek the New Testament is written in. It's called Koine Greek. And even though there's some differences, Mike had no problem acing all the tests. And he was a smart guy. I suspect that's probably why he took the class. He thought it'd be an easy A for the year. But the interesting thing was that as far as I knew, Mike was an agnostic. Mike could read the Bible in the original languages. So whereas I'd have to bring an English, these are translations, I'd have to bring an English translation, he could bring bring it in the class and read right out of the the Greek New Testament. That's pretty impressive. I've only seen professors do that. He could read the Bible in the original language far better than I could ever hope to read God's word. He really knew what the scriptures were saying about God, about Jesus, about church, about Christian life, because none of those subtleties were getting lost in translation for him like they do for me. You guys understand what I'm I'm talking about? You tracking with me? But even though he could read God's word, and even though he clearly knew what it was saying and what it all meant, his response was basically, so what? Who cares? Just tell me the answer so I get an A on the test. Listen, you and I can read the Bible and we can understand the words and what it is, say, what it is saying without the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit. Everybody can read the Bible and know what the words are saying as long as you speak that language. Sure you can. We can understand what Jesus means when he tells a story about the Good Samaritan and then he tells us to go and do likewise. We don't need supernatural help making sense of what that means. It means go and do likewise. Like you know what that means, right? We don't need supernatural help making sense of that. We can mentally agree with whatever Jesus is teaching, but it takes the Holy Spirit to move our hearts for us to want to respond to it. We can know what it means, but not why it matters. 
I want to give you an example of illumination from Scripture, from Luke, actually, Gospel of Luke. Christ has resurrected in this scene. Uh, he, he is resurrected. He's in his new glorified body. And uh, he is walking next to two disciples, two of his own disciples. And they see him, but they don't recognize him. Isn't this interesting? They look at, right at him, but they don't see him. They see him, but they don't see him. And they talk to him. And he talks to them, but they don't hear him. They hear him, but they don't hear him. And then Jesus says this. He said to them, oh, foolish ones. Don't you love Jesus? Sometimes Jesus calls you and I fools. He's not all kittens and cuddles. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they're walking along and he's telling them, this is what it means, this is what it means, this is what it means. Scripture. Here's what the scriptures really mean. So here's what happens. They urge him. They're like, well, this guy's really smart. We don't know who he is, but he seems to really know a lot of stuff. It's kind of interesting. They urge him to stay the night. They urge him to come in, have a meal. Finally, Jesus agrees he doesn't want to, but he says, okay, I'll stay. I'll have a meal with you. But it's, a, it's an interesting meal. He sits at the table with them, and then this scene happens. Luke 24, 30 through 32. And when he was at table with them, listen to all the verbs. He took bread and blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened when he did that. And they recognized him. And they, he vanished from their sight, and they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures, while he opened to us. See, the scriptures were closed, and he opened them. They read it, but they didn't get it. You understand what I'm saying? He opened it, just like he opened their eyes. Their eyes were already biologically open, weren't they? So there's a kind of opening that you and I need from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Resurrected Jesus is giving us a sneak peek of what the Holy Spirit is going to do, not just for these disciples, but for all of his disciples when he comes. The Spirit is going to help us encounter Jesus when we open up God's Word. There's going to be an encounter there, not just Bible data. You need to know that. We need to know that. You can understand all the facts of the Scripture without the help of the Holy Spirit. There are Bible study tools and all this kind of stuff to help you understand this. But you cannot know the live, active, you cannot know the live, active presence of Christ in your life without His help. You can know what it means without understanding why it matters. You've got to have the Holy Spirit to help you know why it matters for you today, now. He does that opens our eyes, and he opens the scriptures. Let me ask you this question. Are you asking for his help to encounter Jesus when you open the sacred book? Or are you just assuming you got that? It'll just happen somehow. You can pry the thing open and understand it. 
Are you willing to confess, brothers and sisters, to the one that helped pin the scriptures that you often approach those scriptures with a cold or unbelieving heart? He prepares us to hear this, to receive this, to even study this. There's some humility, amen? Do you know what I'm saying? I'll be honest, I have lost count of how many times I've begun to read the sacred scriptures and I realized in the middle of my reading how dull my heart is to this. That I don't want to know it, I don't want to obey it, I want to argue with it. And it's a closed book. How many times I have read the book thinking I don't need any supernatural help and understanding this. I saw God's glory there, but I was not stunned because I didn't see it there. I heard his voice there, but I did not tremble because I didn't really hear it. That happens to me all the time. Guys, you can master the content of the scriptures without the Holy Spirit, but you cannot be mastered by the scriptures without him. And oh, what a joy to be mastered by the scriptures. To not just read it, but have it read you. It's a joy. Do you want God's word to really shape your thinking? Really? Do you really want his word to shape your thinking? Do you want to experience your heart burning within you? As the disciples did, then ask the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, to help his word become more than mere words to you. Let it get into your heart. Encounter Jesus and his word. It's a living word. The Spirit brings us to life through renovation. The Spirit brings you and I to life through renovation. Uh, Romans 8, I'm just going to read uh, 11, uh, verse 11 and verse 13, okay? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, so this is conditional, this is not automatic. If this condition is met, then these things will follow, okay? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, through his spirit who dwells in you. 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, but if by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. When the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us, he brings to life a dead person. Body and soul, he brings us to life. That is God's grace to us. That is not something that we do. It is something that he does all by himself <laughs> for you without any help. Thank you very much. Okay? 
When God the Holy Spirit comes to make his home inside of us, he begins a full-body home renovation project from the inside out. See, he is holy, and he comes to live in someone that was dead, dead carcass. That's not holy, so he's going to make us holy. He's got work he's going to do. So the Spirit gives us a new destination to walk. We're walking that way, away from God. We have repented. We're walking this way now because the Spirit has given us a new direction to walk, and he's given us new heart desires, okay? New desires that actually cause us and propel us to want to walk in said direction. New life direction, new heart desires, those come from the Holy Spirit. That's not natural, okay? That's supernatural. And by the way, that is also God's grace to us. That's a gift he has given to us. You can't conjure that up. You can't make that happen. So here's the, here's the question. If we've been given new life direction, and if we have been given new heart desires that bring us to life, how do we live those things out? How do we live in that direction? In other words, how do we cultivate those so that they become stronger, so they become more entrenched in our life? They become fortified and fatter and more robust. That's the question you and I ought to ask. If we be born again, if we truly have the Spirit living in us. Well, part of the answer, this is not the whole answer, but part of the answer that the Scripture gives us is by putting to death the flesh. How? By the Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. The scripture tells us that we still have sin that dwells within us. The apostle calls it the flesh. There's this power of sin that is still active within us. So our old, rebellious uh, ways of thinking and ways of living, they're still at work in us, even as the Spirit lives in us, and he's at work. He's doing his renovation project. And here's kind of the deal. The flesh calls out to us. The flesh makes these sweet-sounding promises to us. It says, look, this is better than following Jesus. Remember? Remember? This is easier than obeying Jesus. Don't you want easy? Because easy is easy. That's why we like it. So the flesh calls out to us. And kind of like in a garden, you have to kill all the weeds that are sucking the nutrition away from your plants if you want them to flourish, if you want them to cultivate those plants, those that produce the fruit. We are called, you and I are called, to put to death the flesh instead of indulging the flesh. Instead of feeding it, you're supposed to starve it to death. This is violent language that the scripture uses. This is like wartime language that the scripture uses. We ought to take this serious. This apostle uses strong language when he says that if we live according to the flesh, it will kill us. It couldn't be more plain. He's not mincing words. Not that it's not going to help you live your best life. Not that it might trip you up. Brothers and sisters, if you live according to the flesh, if you listen to that siren call that's calling out to you and you obey that, you will die. I don't care what you say about yourself. You will die. God's word says you will die. 
The flesh is active. The flesh is crouching at our door. It is fully, fully determined to destroy us, and it never takes a day off. It never calls in sick. It never goes on vacation like you and I do. It's a 24-7 cycle, 365. We must kill sin or it will kill us. Full stop in a sentence. So how do we put to death those fleshly deeds, those fleshly desires that live in us? By the power of the Holy Spirit. You aren't strong enough to do that job. You don't got enough willpower. You need Holy Spirit power. Amen? You starting to love the Holy Spirit? We call upon the Spirit to help us when those rebellious desires rise up. And they, ri- they rise up all day long, do they not? So we humble ourselves and we say, I don't have the power, but Holy Spirit, you, are, you have that power. Please grant, share your power with me. It's not make me more strong. Give me your strength. That's a better prayer. The Spirit partners with us. The Spirit gives us the energy to say no one more time. The 13th time today, yeah, well, I'm going to ask again for help. He gives you that power to ask one more time. The Spirit grants us the endurance to to resist even when we feel weak. He pushes us to fight selfishness when we want to give up and have a little me time. And he promises that we're not alone in this. He is with us every step of the way. You're not doing this alone. You're not doing this on your own power. You're doing it with God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and is with you forever. Let me ask you this question because I love you. Are you killing sin in your life or is it killing you? There is no peace treaty with sin as far as it's concerned. It can fool you into thinking that, but there will be no peace. Are you killing sin or is it slowly, gradually killing you? Killing any kind of fruit of the Spirit in your life your love for God, your love for his word, those new desires and that new direction is slowly suffocating all of that in your life. Let me ask you this question. Are you even aware of the weeds of the flesh that have taken root in your heart? Because maybe your answer is, no, it's not killing me because I'm not even aware of it. I mean, would you even know what to look for? Would you even know what to look for if you were to say, yeah, I'll go pull up those weeds? Would you even know what the weed looked like in your heart, in your life? Maybe, maybe not. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 tells us, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Sensuality just means the five senses. I'm gonna do whatever smells good, sounds good, tastes good, feels good, right? That's being led by your senses instead of the Spirit. Idolatry, sorcery. Oh, I know, we don't practice witchcraft. You know what sorcery is? It is trying to control someone else. Controlling your mom, 
controlling your church, controlling your kid, that's sorcery. I want to control, I want this result, and so I'm going to work this magic to make that happen. Yes, Christians practice this. Yeah, that's a weed. In Jesus' name, it's a weed. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension. You know what dissension is? Do you know what it is to be a dissenter, constantly dissenting? My church is going this way, and I'm going to constantly have a dissenting opinion about it. I dissent. My family wants to do this, and I am going to dissent. It's just, I, whatever it is, I'm against it. I just always vote no for no reason. That is dissenting. And it causes, what's next? Divisions. Imagine that. You got envy. Drunkenness. We get drunk on all kinds of stuff, not just beer. Orgies. And get this. Things like this. In case I miss something, I'm just pointing some things out so you know what the weeds are that are sucking the life out of you so you can pull them up by the root. But things like this, and I warn you, it's kind of what I'm doing right now today, right? I warn you, as I've warned you before, it's not the first time I've talked to you about this, he's saying, that those who do, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. We need the Holy Spirit to have this new life. You see it? It's important. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal where you are living according to the flesh. Because you may not be able to see it. That's what the whole word deception means. You're looking at it, but you don't see it. So you need to open your eyes to some of these things. Ask him, where am I living according to the flesh? Actually ask him that dangerous question. And then he'll do it. And when the Spirit does it for you, thank him. Thank him. Don't feel bad about it. Thank him. Repent and say, I'm so glad you showed me so I can actually get to work on this and do something about it. He is showing you and me because he wants life for us. It's not a beat down. It's a lift up. This has been pulling you down. This has been destroying you. And you've been fooling yourself. Let me give you life by showing it to you. And as we put to death the weeds of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, the new life of the Spirit sprouts up. The new life of the Spirit renovates us. We become new people. We become who we are. But we must also sow to the Spirit. We sow to the Spirit. We don't just kill the flesh. We are sow to the Spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at Galatians 6, 7 through 8. Do not be deceived. Why would he write that sentence? Because you're being deceived. You're deceiving yourself. Do not be deceived. And what good for you, Pastor Paul says. God's not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Some people translate the Greek their destruction. But there's another side of this. 
the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. There's only life and death. No one plateaus for very long. That's one or the other. And if you sow to the Spirit, you will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Listen, that's promissory language. That's how you ought to read this. That's positive. That ought to make you smile, right? This, is, this verse is almost a mirror image of Romans 8.13, which we already read. And here's the principle. You will not get apple trees if you sowed an orange tree. Regardless of what you claim that you planted in the ground. Regardless of what you profess, the fruit will tell the truth on the tree. Always. If the Spirit lives in us, and if He has given us new life direction, and if He's given us new heart direction, then we should sow to the Spirit. Here's the wonderful promise of verse 8. If we spend time cultivating those holy desires, and if we spend time walking in that holy direction, we will reap eternal life. We will reap eternal life. This isn't a high probability that we'll, reach, that we'll get eternal life. It is a certainty. Isn't that exciting? You ought to smile. That is good news. It's guaranteed, which, by the way, is why the Scriptures assures us that our labor in this endeavor is never in vain. That's the next verse. I didn't read it. Your labor in this endeavor is never in vain. Your labor in other things may be in vain. It may all like turn to dust, but not in this. And that ought to encourage you and I to want to continue to labor when we're not seeing fruit right away. We're not seeing the results right away. And I've been going to church for four years and I've been praying, all, your labor's not in vain. Your labor's not in vain. The Holy Spirit is bringing us to life through a renovation project. It is His power and it is His energy inside of us. We cannot live the life that He has given to us without the Holy Spirit, yet we do participate. Now, how do we participate in these twin actions of killing off the deeds of the flesh and also sowing to the Spirit. I'll give four really quick examples of this, and I'll be done. One way we sow to the Spirit is by believing the promises of God. Like, in real time, you and I actively in that moment say, I'm going to believe the promises of God right here in this situation. I'm going to believe what God says. We sin against God by faith, just like we Live to God by faith. Your life is by faith. It's by what you believe, right? In moments of temptation, we must believe that God's promises are sweeter than the promises that sin makes. That's why you, that's why you and I sin, because it makes a promise, and it sounds good. So I'm going to believe it. We've got to say, no, God's been a promise. It's better. I'm going to believe that right now. It's by faith. Secondly, we must have knowledge of God's promises. You can't believe something that you, never, that you don't know. This makes sense. This should make sense. We must have knowledge of God's promises. And guess what? You and I are really forgetful creatures. That means we need to read God's word. We need to study God's word regularly. Dare I say daily. Not because it's legalistic, because it's survival. 
why we need to read God's word. We must eat this book so that our faith is nourished. Man does not survive, my lingual translation, man does not survive by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. Thirdly, we must pray to the Spirit daily and throughout the day, because the day is long, right? The day is long. Ask him to grant you the desire to follow the Lord. Confess that you are too weak to kill your favorite sins. You can kill the sins that you know are hurting you, but not the favorite ones. That takes supernatural power, doesn't it? So tell him that. Tell the Spirit that. Ask for his great power and he will supply it. He will grant it to you. Yes, in that moment, he will grant it to you. This is stuff that happens in lifetime. This is not just data we put back on our brain. Number four, unite yourself to a local church for the long haul. I didn't say join, I said unite yourself. The Holy Spirit is not a force given to individuals. He is the great counselor given to the church. We need others who are filled with the Spirit to help us keep in step with the Spirit. You cannot do this on your own. We need others. We need others that can help us discern when we're sowing to the flesh and we're deceived. We need others that can cheer us on when we're tired of sowing to the Spirit. Because I've been reading that Bible and I've been praying those prayers and I am tired. I've got to pray one more time. You know what? No. I will come and I will pray with you. I, we will do this together and I will cheer you on. Uh, we need people that can help us celebrate when the Spirit has borne fruit in our life over time. Why? Because you've been walking with them for a time. I can't tell you, we can't tell you if you've grown in three months. We'll only send you for three months, for a few weeks. See what I'm saying? But after a few years, I can tell you, I want to assure you, God is in you. He is at work. You can't see it, but we can see it. Isn't that a blessing to you? Absolutely. And that's actually what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about the church, because that's what the Spirit of God creates. He didn't just recreate individuals, but he's, re he's creating a new people. Uh, people. Would you bow your heads with me? Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you for who you are. You bring good things to life. And I pray, oh God, that you would bring each and every person to life. Those that do not know you and those that do intimately know you. Bring us to life. I pray that you would make the word of God as it has been spoken alive to each and every heart. I pray that you would help it and cause it to drill down deep, dividing even bone and marrow. I pray that you would change what we want, that we would want better things. I pray where there are weeds that we have actually indulged in the flesh and we're feeding the flesh and we're telling you, get off my property. I like that weed. 
that you would so love us that you would, Holy Spirit, convict us of sin, point us to righteousness, and show us that Jesus Christ has taken our judgment for us because he loves us. Change our church, change your people for your sake and glory, we pray, amen.